Good morning, everybody. Scripture reading for today is from Psalm chapter 1. And this is the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. All right. Good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, before I begin, I want to introduce a couple visitors we have today. Uh, first, we have Jung. Jung, if you could raise your hand. Oh, it's right back there by uh, Sylvia. Give him a warm welcome. We also have Eric and Vanessa, who are Roberta's parents. If you guys can raise your hands. Back there. Thank you. Uh, welcome, everyone, and uh, glad you can join us in worship today. Um, so let me begin today's message uh, with a story from my high school days. Uh, sorry to disappoint, but no fighting stories for me today. Pastor Sam uh, called me out uh, some time ago. He's like, hey, how come all your personal examples are about you fighting somebody? Are you beating up someone or are you getting beat up? And just to be clear, I only have two fighting stories, and I already used them up, so you won't be hearing that from me anymore. Uh, anyway, in high school, I decided to join the guitar ensemble. All the cool kids were in orchestra and band trying to get that extracurricular to get into good schools. But I didn't play any of those, any of those instruments, right? But, and I had a guitar laying around at home. So I was like, why not? Right? I want to I learn some Linkin Park, some Sum 41, some Simple Plan, the quintessential millennial rock bands that we grew up on. Right? <laughs> but for the first year in guitar ensemble, we literally did the opposite. We were taught, like, the basics of the basics. You know, like Mr. Miyagi's wax on and wax off. Every single day, we just ran through exercises, doing, learning notes, and going through scales. Right? And, you know, it, it was really repetitive. It seemed really boring at the time. But some days, it felt really helpful because it, it helped me to warm up my fingers to play the pieces that we needed to play. But other days, it just felt straight up tedious. But what ended up happening is that over time, right, my knowledge of the, of the guitar fretboard and my technique got so refined. It's like second nature, right? I'm, I'm doing it right now. This is 100% accurate right here. <laughs> it got so refined. It became second nature. I didn't even have to look. Right? Not only was I able to easily rock out to Linkin Park or S Simple Plan, so forth. That's, that's the easy stuff. But for my senior recital, I actually managed to play the rock version of Canon in D. If you ever watched that YouTube clip, it's like one of the original popular YouTube clips of this guy just shredding the guitar, you know, playing the, the classical piece in this rock version. And it's a really technical piece. So I was able to play that. I was able to shred the guitar. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, I was a little proud of myself back then. Anyway, in hindsight, I, I, I think back, and all of those hours following our teacher and, and the exercises that he made us do grounded my skills and set the foundation for me to play all different kinds of music. 
right? It made me appreciate those exercises. It made me appreciate my teacher. And I told the story because I think we approach God's word in a very similar way, right? There's some days we find it so refreshing, challenging, and encouraging. And some days, you know, it feels like it's really not doing anything for us. Some days it just feels like a drag to, do this, to be disciplined in God's word. But our psalm this morning reminds us that our discipline of going to God's word is not in vain. See, God is doing something good in us through his word. He works through our discipline of going and reading his word. See, through it, he is anchoring us. He is nourishing us. He is growing us. And ultimately, he is blessing us through his word. And kind of like my experience in the guitar ensemble, it's not always obvious, right, as, as you're going through it in the moment. But in God's time, right, he promises that we will bear fruit for him. And we're called to trust in this process. So the point of today's message is this. The blessed life is one that is firmly and patiently rooted in God's word because through this process, he is growing us to be both steadfast and fruitful in all seasons of life. Let me say that one more time. The blessed life is one that is firmly and patiently rooted in God's word because through this process, he is growing us to be both steadfast and fruitful in all seasons of life. And I'm going to go through this in three points. Number one, the steadfast man. Number two, the fruitful man. And number three, the righteous man. Number one, the steadfast man. So just to give a little background on our passage, Psalm 1 has actually been historically been interpreted as an introduction to the book of Psalms. It's not necessarily like a song or a prayer in and of itself, but it's more like a foreword of a book that introduces the content of the book of Psalms. Now you think about it, it kind of serves as this sign posted on an entrance to remind us who are thinking about entering that the book of Psalms is meant for those who desire to walk in the way of righteousness. It's kind of like, who shall enter the book of Psalms? And it answers this important question. What is the way of righteousness? And we see in verse 1, the psalmist kicks off the answer immediately. He says, blessed is the man, which can be roughly translated to, happy is the man. But we've got to make something clear here. Right? This, this notion of happiness in the Bible is not the kind of happiness that we define in English, right? because the way we use it is purely based on emotions. Like when we feel positive, when we feel good, right? we define that to be usually happiness. Right? But when the Bible talks about happiness, it's this state of well-being, this holistic well-being from the inside out, the sense of wholeness, the sense of completeness, the sense of, ah, this is life. And where can we find this happiness? Well, the psalmist begins his answer by showing us where we shouldn't be looking for this happiness. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see, what he's saying here is that the wisdom or the way of the world 
is not the answer to the happiness that we're looking for. It's because they tend to remove us from the true source of happiness, which is God himself. And yet, like, this imagery of walking, standing, and sitting shows us just how easy it is for us to conform to the ways of this world. And it starts from our thinking, which shapes our behaving, which leads to our eventual belonging. All right, so check out this progression. Right, walking in the counsel of the wicked is to fill our minds with the advice of the world, which tends to be man-centered. Right here in 2021, we tend to hear things like, do whatever makes you happy. We always say, you do you. Truth is not something that's absolute, that's objective, but truth is what you make of it. It's what's inside you. You get to define your own reality, and it can be wrapped up in, it's all about you. And then we move into standing in the way of sinners, which is to let these half-truths and falsehoods begin shaping our actions. We begin to believe it, and sin becomes normalized in our lives. We start thinking along the lines of, what's what's so bad about my addiction? Whether it's games like gambling or pornography, what's so bad about it? Or we we kind of think about drunkenness. It's like, what's so bad about me getting drunk? It's not a big deal. It relieves my stress. It makes me happy. So who are you to infringe upon my happiness? So we begin to justify and water down our sins and define what's good and bad for on our own terms. And lastly, we before we know it, we move into sitting in the seat of scoffers, which is to no longer live as those who have been set apart for God. We no longer carry the aroma of Christ. Repentance is non-existent. And we maybe even join in with the world in mocking God and his word. But you see, take it back, right? All of this starts with our thinking. So what the psalmist is saying here is that what you fill your mind with matters. What you fill your mind with matters. I mean, are we bombarded with the counsel of the world every single day of our lives. And if you think about it, from the moment we wake up, we're we're constantly being fed what the advertisements, the news media, the songs, the pundits, and the analysts, the podcasts, the social media, and even celebrities are feeding us. Their ways, their wisdom for our lives, their definition of what is good and bad. And they're not all inherently bad. Right? There's kernel of truth in this world, of God's truth. But the problem is when we allow these voices of the world to marinate in our minds with nothing to ground us, nothing to anchor us, we will inevitably be consumed. Now, it kind of reminds me of those, like, those flailing balloons that you see in, in the car dealerships, right, that, that sort of sways left and right, whichever way the wind blows. In a similar way, when we don't have a solid anchor, we will be swept left and right, up and down. You see, our values, our morals, and our convictions waver based on the winds of the culture, and there's no real sense of truth. 
we lack any real sense of personal conviction because we tend to just go with the flow. We let others define our convictions for us. And our faith becomes compromised as sin slowly gets redefined in our lives. And when life gets hard and this happiness that the world promises isn't delivered, what happens? We crumble. We have nothing to fall back on, nothing to anchor us. We have no resilience. We need something to ground us, to anchor us. But thankfully, the psalmist doesn't leave us hanging. That's the good news. There is a way to be rooted in the truth. There is a way to truly, wholly, really, actually be happy. And that is what? To find delight in the law of the Lord. See, what he's saying here is that the solution isn't to stop listening to everything, the voices of the world, but it's actually to fill our minds with something else. It's not telling us to lock ourselves in a room, be a hermit, don't listen to anything and anyone. But the solution is to fill our minds with something else. You see, of all the competing voices that we hear daily in this life, we're called to treasure, savor, focus on God's word above everything else. And when it talks about the law of the Lord, it's actually talking about the whole scripture with all of its promises, its instructions, its guidance, its commands, and its wisdom. Because you see, in his word, God, as a loving father, speaks to us personally and intimately. See, he gives rest for our weary souls, strength when we are weak, discipline for our rebellious hearts, assurance for our doubts, reality for our confusion, grace in our failures, guidance in our uncertainty, and truth in the face of lies and deceit. And I tell you, God's word is not like the wisdom of this world. It never changes. It never fails. It never wavers. It always delivers what it promises. It's trustworthy. And what do we say every time we reread God's word? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. And that is our reality. So we're called to meditate on this word, on the words of our God, day and night. But you see, when the Bible talks about meditation, it's, it's not talking about like go lock yourself in a room and read the Bible 24-7. But it's about daily recalling to mind the truth of God's word, right? Speaking these words into our hearts as we sort of encounter daily situations and temptations throughout the day. You know, like if you get into an argument with your spouse, you're just at your wit's end, and you're just so sick and tired of it. You know, I hope we can recall Ephesians 5 where husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Or 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient, love is kind. Or if you're anxious about work, if you're anxious about life and how it's going to unfold, you know, you want to get married, but you just don't seem to be to be anywhere near close to that, 
1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, right? As we recall to mind these truths of God, he speaks to us, and in the process, he anchors us. Tim Keller says this about meditation. Meditation is taking the truth of the Bible and pressing it down to the very base of your heart until it catches fire until it becomes a reality in your life, until you're able to apply it on a day-to-day basis. So while worldly meditation tells you zen, right, empty yourselves, empty your minds, biblical meditation tells you to fill your minds, drown out all other competing voices in this life. So question for everyone here this morning. What have you been filling your minds with? What grounds your thoughts and your actions throughout the day? Is it the wisdom of the world or is it the wisdom of God? Is it the promise of the world or is it the promise of God? Because as we treasure and savor this unchanging, everlasting promise and guidance of God, he is planting us to be like a tree that can withstand any season and whatever life throws at us. And he tells us that not only is this tree steadfast, but it's also fruitful. And that that brings us to our second point, number two, the fruitful man. So the psalmist in verse 3 uh, continues to show us what it looks like when we delight in the word of God. He says this, He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Notice this tree isn't just planted in the middle of a desert, hoping uh, that it will catch some rain, but it's planted by a source of water, like a river that is constantly flowing through it. You see, what the psalmist is getting at is that daily seeking God in his word not only grounds us, but it's also meant to nourish and grow us in our faith, in our lives. In other words, God is doing something in us as we meditate on his word. When you think about it, what good is a tree without leaves and fruit? What use is it? But we find that a lot of times, you know, we struggle to go to God's word because it seems so mundane, so boring. You know, some parts are straight up just hard to understand. And we don't see immediate results, right? It's like, we don't see the fruit. What's the point? I don't see anything changing. Perhaps you still struggle with the same sins. You, you know, you don't feel like God's word isn't doing much in your life. It's not really transforming you. There's, there's other things you'd rather read. That's more interesting. But so many times in the Bible, whenever it talks about what God is doing in our lives, it actually uses, you know, some kind of like farming or or gardening imagery. It talks about, you know, seeds being sown, trees being planted, different kinds of soil, watering, bearing fruit, and harvest. And I think it's trying to tell us something. 
God values not just the end product, right, but also the process to get there. Not just the end product, but also the process to get there. You know, maybe even through our stumbling, imperfect, inconsistent commitment to his word, maybe he is, perhaps he is patiently working in us, slowly but surely changing us from the inside out. And the change isn't always tangible. We can't see it in the moment, but in hindsight, God's work will be evident. But it requires patient trust in God right, and his process. So about two years ago, I was uh, gifted a pepper plant. Um, I had a phase where I was really obsessed with spicy things, right? Spicy foods, spicy peppers. Uh, and so this, well, I can't do it anymore because I'm past 30 now. But um, a, a thoughtful brother got me this Carolina Reaper plant right, as, as a gift. And, and it's, if you don't know what a Carolina Reaper is, it's, it's one of the spiciest peppers out there. And the plant was about this small. And, you know, I was legit excited to see if I can grow something, right? Grow the pepper to see just how spicy it is, right? just what the hype is about. I was like, bring it on, right? So I put it in the sunniest part of the apartment. I watered it every single day. I gave it the best soil. And after about three months, flowers started budding. It's like, ooh, here it comes, right? I'm like waiting for that pepper plant, pep pepper, and a couple days later, right, all the flowers just fell off, right? It just died, and it, it withered, and, and the plant was so barren. Right? And I thought maybe it's because it's during the winter. It's, it's the winter season. It's, it's not growing. So I kept up with my routine, and after about a year, right, while the plant itself grew, it did not bear any fruit, right? There, there's, there were no flowers on it. So Rebecca and I, we tried different things, right? We repotted the plant. She thought maybe the plant doesn't have enough space to grow. Right? So we repotted to a bigger one and then a, another bigger one. We changed the soil. We, I, I tried swabbing the, the, the flowers to try to cross-pollinate to be like a personal bee so <laughs> in hopes that it maybe bear some fruit. Right? But none of that worked. Nothing just worked. So after about a year and a half, <laughs> another round of flowers budding and then falling off, I, sh I just gave up. Right? And I, I tried to be more like Jesus by cursing the plant. Right? Every time I passed it, I was like, curse you, fruitless plant. And Rebecca's like, uh, <laughs> this guy's crazy. <laughs> um, I was like, let's throw away the plant. Let's just plant something else. Like, I won't get any. Right? Or, or, or like Korean peppers. No, they tend to be more faithful. So I was like, it's a dud plant. It's not going to work. But Rebecca, being more patient than I am, continued to water the plant. She's like, no, something's going to grow on it. And she even started to give it some fertilizer. And during this time, all the while she's watering the plant faithfully, I'm on the couch just mocking her, mocking the plant. It's like, nothing's going to grow. Trust me, nothing's going to grow. <laughs> it's a dud. Just throw it away, right? And this went on for a few more months. Um, and about two weeks ago, you know, I was mocking the plant again. I did that like three times a week. I just passed by it and I'm just making fun of it. And I was slapping the leaves. <laughs> and as I was telling Rebecca, I was like, I told you nothing's going to grow. And it's, it's, it, in the middle of my sentence, 
I saw a bright orange fruit on the tree. I was like, no way. And we're both like, oh, shoot, this is a pepper, right? It actually grew something, right? She was, she was screaming, right? We were both so excited. Two years worth of work, right, finally came to fruition. And I had this dramatic flashback of the last two years where I was faithfully watering the plant, where I was talking to it, where I was mocking it, where I was, uh, you know, trying to love it. And I realized at the time, that all of this wasn't in vain. And in due time, right, the pepper that I thought was a, the pepper plant that I thought was a dud bore a fruit. In a similar way, right, even when it doesn't seem like it, right, even in our doubts, God is actively working in us through the mundane, through the ordinary moments of reading his word, which is like water for our souls. And when God is at work, he promises that we will bear fruit in his time. We will bear fruit in his time. It'll show in our faith and in our character, but it requires patience. You see, the more and more we store the riches of God's word in our hearts, over time, what happens is that we begin to resemble more and more of God as we grow in our love, in our joy, in our patience, in our kindness, in our gentleness. And as more of God's truth sets in our hearts, it takes deep root in our hearts, we can better filter out the lies and the falsehoods of this world We can better discern how to wisely handle difficult relationships and situations. And we can counsel our own hearts when life gets hard or when the enemy accuses us. You see, like a well, the more water we store in our hearts, the more of God's word we store in our hearts, the more we'll have to draw from as we go through life. And not only that, the inward growth we experience will overflow outward as we grow to be a blessing to others, to be a fruit for others. We begin to live out God's truth by blessing others with our words. We learn to step out of our comfort zones by serving others, and we're able to witness to this blessed life that we have in Christ. So let me ask you, right, how have you been doing in your spiritual discipline of going to God and in his word? Is it something that's a priority to you? Or is it something that you've been neglecting? And maybe some of us have been lazy, impatient, or distracted, and has left you empty and dry, withering in your affections for God and your heart growing cold towards others. So I want to encourage everyone here, if it's been a struggle, would you consider taking a few minutes out of your day just to read through God's word? You don't have to start from Genesis. You don't have to start necessarily start a reading plan. But it's one of those things that just do it. 
and, and just take some time to absorb God's word. Start in the easier reads, like the Gospels or the letters. Reignite your hunger. Reignite your desire for God. See, he's actively speaking to us, and he desires to bless us, to fill our hearts with the lasting joy and gladness once again as we anchor ourselves in his word that points us to the one in whom we're richly blessed. And this brings us to our last point, number three, the righteous man. So until now, right, in, in our passage, the psalmist has been spending his time talking about the blessed life of a righteous person who delights in and lives in submission to God's word. But in the last few verses, he answers the million-dollar question. What happens to those who don't? What happens to those who don't treasure God's word, who don't delight in it, who don't live in submission to it? You see, the psalm shows us that there are only really two paths in life that we can go. The way of the righteous who live according to God's word or the way of the wicked who live in rejection of God's word. You're either one or the other. There's no third option. And in verse 4, the psalmist describes the fate of those who reject and refuse to live according to God's word. Those who attempt to define life for themselves while scoffing at the wisdom of God. And he says this, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. If you don't know what a chaff is, it's sort of like a covering, right? It's like a husk of a grain that you can easily peel off. And when you throw it in the air, the grain will remain. But the, but the husk, right, the chaff will just blow away with the wind. And what he's saying here is that those who live in rejection to God's word, their lives are useless. And they're bound to be tossed out. And not only will their lives be counted worthless, but in verses 5 to 6, it says that they won't even have a chance to stand before God come judgment time. And they will perish. Or in other words, they will be destroyed. <laughs> Isn't it a drastically different picture from the tree that is rooted, that is watered, that is just teeming with life, growing and thriving? quite a different picture, right? And it's, it's, it's terrifying to think about. And we might be thinking, well, I'm glad I'm not that person, right? Glad I'm not in that camp. But the sobering truth of the matter is, we are the very people that the psalmist is talking about. I mean, if you really think about it, aren't we guilty of rejecting God's word, finding delight in the counterfeit wisdom of this world, attempting to live life on our own terms, redefining what's good and bad, all the while directly and indirectly scoffing at the wisdom of God, thinking we know better? We do this whenever we sin. See, the truth is that you and I, all of us here, are among the wicked. We are the ones who won't be able to stand before God in judgment. And we are the ones doomed to perish. 
on our own, we have no chance. But here is the but, right? The good news. The good news is that this psalm points us, right, ultimately points us to a man who is eternally blessed, who truly delighted in the word of God, unwavering in his commitment and in his submission to God's will, who is the tree planted by the streams, perfectly steadfast and fruitful in all his ways. And it's Jesus, the righteous man. And yet, this blessed, perfectly righteous man willingly stood before God to be judged and punished as though he was the wicked one, as though he was a sinner and the scoffer, so that we, who were the actual perpetrators, would not only be spared, but also perfectly covered in his righteousness. This is important. It is only in Jesus we're called righteous. It is only in Jesus we are truly blessed, truly happy, and made whole. And it's only in Jesus we are like a plant, we are like a tree planted by the streams. It's only in Jesus that we have life. Got to get this straight. There is no blessed life apart from Jesus. It's inconceivable apart from Jesus. So I pray, may God increase our faith for all of us here this morning. May we cling to our humble, loving Savior all the more as we learn of just his loving, merciful, gracious ways. You see, only when we come to understand just how wonderful, gracious, and loving Jesus is, will we find greater delight in God's word. In other words, the more Jesus occupies our hearts, the sweeter his word will be to our lips and life-giving to our souls. So Cornerstone, uh, let's resolve. Let's, let's make a commitment to be a people rooted in the truth of God's eternal, unchanging word. You see, he hasn't left us in the dark. He hasn't abandoned us. But he is actively working in us, and he is speaking to us every single day through his word. Let's take it upon ourselves to challenge one another to be disciplined and committed to seeking God and his word. You know, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're in, we're in this journey together. Right? We're not doing this on our own. And may God grow us to be steadfast in life, unwavering in the midst of an ever-changing wisdom of the world, and resilient in the face of any trial and suffering. And may God grow us to be fruitful so that we may encourage, teach, refresh, and challenge those around us to grow in our conviction to serve those around us and to be a witness to this broken, lost world about the humble Savior in whom we're so richly blessed.
And in all of this, when it's all said and done, may our lives be used to declare the glory of God, for he is worthy. Let's pray.